If you can turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 33, I'm going to read two passages. One I'll read from Psalm 90 verses 1 to 4, Psalm 90 verses 1 to 4. But we will have our thoughts tonight in Deuteronomy chapter 33. So we'll have two readings, but if you want to turn, if it's easier for you just to turn to Deuteronomy, and I'll meet you there in a minute, and I'll read Psalm number 90, verses 1 to 4. The word of God says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return ye, children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Amen. We know the Lord without his blessing to that reading. And then also now to Deuteronomy chapter 33. We were here a few weeks ago when we thought of the incomparability of God. Deuteronomy chapter 33 Reading verse 26 down to verse 29. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth it upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Israel shall dwell in safety alone, the fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine, also as heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their High places, amen. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of that word and also the other passage we read from Psalm 90. As we continue in our study in the doctrine of God, we now come to the truth that God is eternal, also known as the eternality of God. I direct your focus to the opening statement of Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, the eternal God. And so that's what we think about tonight. Our God is eternal, the eternality of God. The Shorter Catechism, question four, what is God? The answer, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. The eternality of God means God is eternal in his love, his justice, his mercy, his grace, his goodness, and his faithfulness. The truth that God is eternal is taught in many passages of Scripture. We'll go through some of them tonight, but obviously we can't go through every single one of them. But I'll just read Genesis 21, verse 33. Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. You may also want to think of Psalm 48, verse 14, Psalm 102, verse 12, Isaiah 57, verse 15, 1 Timothy, 
chapter 1, verse 17. All these verses, and you can have them as you get the notes later on, they show that the very nature of God is eternal. Furthermore, the eternality of God is ascribed to each person within the Godhead, also known as the Trinity. God the Father is eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 28, we learn the everlasting God. God the Son is eternal. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. God the Holy Spirit is called in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, the eternal Spirit. And so there we have the uh, mentioned there, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are eternal. God's eternality it means that God is before time. God was when nothing else was. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God is free from time and all the limitations of time. The eternality of God is something that the limited mind of man cannot fully grasp or fully comprehend. We work by dates, times, years, but God is eternal. Charles Spurgeon, the preacher in London, said this here in his day, man's thoughts are for a time. And his ways, but for a season. God is eternal. When he thinks, his thoughts abide forever. And when he acts, his ways are everlasting. End of quote. So we think of terms past, present, and future. However, the eternal God throughs all time as the eternal present. Why? Is that, or why do we make that point? Because God is never in a hurry. God is never in a rush. God is never late. God is never behind. Why? Because he views time in the eternal present. As the eternal God of heaven, he looks at time, not as we see it. He doesn't see past, present, and future. Rather with God, yesterday, today and forever, are the eternal present. That means there is no succession or no progress or no advancing with God. The eternality of God does, uh, the eternality of God means that he is uh, from everlasting to everlasting. He doesn't view things by progress he doesn't view things by uh, bit by bit. With God, there is no succession or growth of being. There's no succession of knowledge and no succession of events or actions. Now, when we view actions or we view events in life, we do so as gradual, as developing, as over a period of time, but not with God. He views all offense in one eternal view. Allow me to illustrate it this way. You think of our city here in London with all the different processions, 
or the parades or even the the protests that are around the city of London. And as we think of that, as we view a a procession or a certain parade, each section of that parade will march around the city. And depending where you stand, say Buckingham Palace or Trafalgar Square or Downing Street or any other uh, street en route, each section of that parade at some point will pass you by. And as each section passes you by, then another one will follow after. But through the whole time, through the whole parade, your view of that parade will be in succession. It will develop. It will be gradual. More and more of that parade will be seen. More of that parade will be added to. During the parade, you will only see what passes your view, but you cannot see the start from the beginning, or the, from the end. You cannot see everything at one time. You cannot see the whole parade, the whole protest, the whole procession from start to finish. All you can see is what is in front of you where you are standing. And as the parade passes by, more and more will be added on. More and more will be seen. Your knowledge and view of that parade will be limited. It will be restricted. It will be bound to what is before you. You take the funeral of Queen Elizabeth the second. I remember going to that and I stood there just on the, the before uh, Buckingham Palace and all I could see what, what was in front of me. The troops, all the different processions, the parts of the parade, they all came bit by bit. But where I was standing, I could only see what was in front of me. I couldn't see the parade that left Horses Guard. I couldn't see what then went on past Buckingham Palace. All I could see what was before my very eyes. And so as far as that whole parade went, my knowledge of it was limited. In fact, you were talking to people, what's happening? What's happening down the road? Because no one else could see. No one else knew. You only knew what was before you. However, if one was to fly up high in a plane or, say, a helicopter, and you went over the whole city, and you went over that whole uh, route where the parade took place, the, the funeral procession, all the different bands and all the different groups and uh, those in the army that were marching, you would see the whole parade in one view. You would see the start from the finish. You would see the whole thing in one view. And so we would say our knowledge of that parade then would no longer be successive, but it would be, uh, meaning gradual, it would no longer be added to But instead, our knowledge and view of that parade would now be instantaneous. In one moment of time, we would view every part of that parade as one whole parade. Looking at it from above down, we would see the whole thing. We would not be bound. We would not be restricted. And the whole point we're making is this. With the eternality of God, There is no restriction. When it comes to events, 
when it comes to plans in our life, when it comes to his purposes, there is no succession. There is no gradual process. There's no adding to. He sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. When it comes to our life, God knows everything in our life. He sees our whole life in one view. Therefore, God is eternal. He is uncontained, unbounded by any power. He is before all things and all things depend upon him. He depends upon none. And therefore, as we think about our eternal God, this is the one Moses is instructing the people about as they go into the promised land, as they take their journey. God knows all about their journey. He is eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And therefore, the trials that they will meet as they go forward in God's command, he will know it because he is eternal. And Moses focuses upon the truth that God is eternal. And we will look in four simple ways how God is eternal and how that applies to our life. Moses basically says to the people that God is eternal. He is above, around, beneath, and before his people. Notice, first of all, the eternal God is above his people. In verse 26, Moses, in his closing words, refers to God who rides upon the heavens and dwells in the excellency on the sky in order to help his people. We touched on that a phrase uh, last time in our last study. But the language used gives the thought that the eternal God is above his people in the sense that he watches over them from above. Again, Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens, and therefore the heavens are his. He is above his people, not only as the creator, but as the sovereign one. In terms of his care, his watchfulness of all his people, he keeps his eye upon them. He looks upon his people from above. His redeemed are never out of his sight. He sees their coming in and their coming out. In our earthly life, there are uh, trials, there are uh, troubles, there are many, many sorrows and illnesses that we will go through. And yet the Lord watches from above. He knows each and every one of us and all the trials that we will go through. Those trials, those circumstances that are overwhelming, that are challenging, that seek to come upon us, bring us into despair, bring us into discouragement. Yet the Lord, who is high above his people, he watches over his people. Paul summed it up in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, when he said we are troubled on every side. And yet the truth is, while we are troubled on every side, yet the Lord looks down from above upon his people. We can still say the words of Psalm 46, verse 1, 
that God is a present help in a time of trouble. Psalm 121, verse 1. Our help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so there, while we go through the troubles of life, yet we have one who is above us, one who is eternal, one who looks upon us, and one who knows about us. And therefore we rejoice in our eternal God because he is above his people. And therefore he rides across the heaven to our aid. He knows about you today. Our God is eternal and he sees your life in one single view. We don't know what will happen to our life tomorrow or the next day, but the Lord does. And therefore from heaven, he watches over his people. But notice also, secondly, the eternal God is around his people. Again, we read in in verse 27, the eternal God is thy refuge. The word refuge refers to a shelter, a hiding place, a dwelling place. And therefore God is the dwelling place of his people. When we think of a refuge or a dwelling place, we think of home, a shelter in a time of storm, a place to close the door and get away from all the things and obstacles of life and come to that quiet place within the home. Around London, you see many people, when it, when the rain comes heavy, they run towards the tubes or the, the bus stations in order to find refuge, in order to find safety. And so God is our refuge. He is the one who surrounds us. He is our dwelling place. He is our refuge. Again, Psalm 90, verse 1. The same words are translated that way. He is our dwelling place. Again, Psalm 90, also written by Moses, thinking about the journeys of the children of Israel through the land of promise. Whenever the children of Israel took their journeys, the Lord drew near to them and the Lord uh, was that refuge for them. You read Numbers chapter 9, verses 36 to 38, how the presence of the Lord went with them as symbolized by the cloud. Whatever they needed, whether it was food, whether it was water, their need was supplied. They were sheltered by the Lord every day and every night. Believers in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, are described as being of the household of God. And therefore, in our life, as the children of God, as the household of God, as the body of believers, as the church purchased by the precious blood, God is our refuge. He is our dwelling place. He is our safety. His, he is around us. He surrounds us as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. So the Lord is around about his people. And as we go through day by day and night by night, the different roller coaster experiences with all the ups and downs, the twists and the turns of life, our God is our refuge. He is our eternal strength. He is our eternal defense. 
there is never a time and there will never be a time when our God will not be our refuge. Psalm 62 verse 8. Trust or depend in him or on him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. And what a wonderful thought that is. Not only is our God above us, but our God is around us and surrounds us. He is our refuge, our shelter, our dwelling place in any time of trouble. Whatever that trouble may be, you can flee to him. You can run to him for shelter, for protection, for help. When it comes even to our death, our God is still our refuge. He will not abandon us in life and he will not abandon us at death. When it is that time to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with us. He will go before us and he will surround us. He is our shelter from the wrath of God. Romans 5 verse 8, being justified by his blood, the blood of Christ that is, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And therefore, what a wonderful thought that is. In life, God is our refuge. He's our refuge when we came to him for salvation. He's our refuge through life as we serve him. And when we come to death, he will never abandon us. He will always be that shelter to us, saved from the wrath of God. But notice also, the eternal God is beneath his people. Again, Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. Moses states, and underneath are the everlasting arms. When you consider that word underneath, it means something below or something under that gives support, something that is solid. And since it's connected to the expression, the everlasting arms, then the eternal God of heaven eternally supports or upholds his people. Isn't that wonderful? Day by day, our eternal God supports us. He upholds us. When we are weak, he is our strength. When we feel we can't go on anymore, he guides us onward because we're upheld and supported by his everlasting arms. The whole point is to rest upon and to depend upon. And so we depend upon the one who upholds us and strengthens us. We rest, we lean upon the everlasting arms of our eternal God. Now remember, going back to a previous study, God is a spirit and therefore God does not have arms and God does not have hands. We went into that in detail in previous studies when we spoke on the spirituality of God. God is a spirit. He doesn't have bodily parts and therefore we're not to imagine God with hands and God uh, with uh, fingers and arms. Rather, that language is used for our limited imagination or our limited understanding. Uh, that there is used to help us 
understand how God works and how God deals with his people. And so we think of arms. We think of hands used to work, used to support, used to give help, used to strength. You hear the phrase, can I give you a helping hand? Or let me help you with that. Or could you please hold this up for me? Or someone is walking up a ladder. You say, could you hold the ladder uh, for me? And maybe you've been there before. Someone said, could you hold the ladder for me? And what you do is you put your foot on the ladder. And they say, no, 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 not your foot. I want you to actually grab this because I could fall. And what they want, they want you to get your hand on it and hold it secure. And that's the imagery used when it talks about the everlasting arms of God. It means for our to help our understanding of one who helps us, one who strengthens us, one who upholds us, one who lifts us up, one who will not uh, see us, uh, one who will see us through. God's everlasting arms will always carry out God's everlasting purposes because God's promises cannot fail. And therefore, we have fainting fits. We often doubt the care of our eternal God. Yet Moses is saying to the people, when you go forward into this land, your eternal God will hold you by his everlasting arms. He will support you. He will guide you. He will strengthen you. He will uphold you. He will lead you by his hand. While we don't know what the future holds, yet we know the one who holds the future. And my times, my life is in his hands. And therefore, whatever tomorrow holds, I know that the eternal God holds us in his hands. Charles Spurgeon had this wonderful thought in thinking about the everlasting arms of God and how believers can never slip through his hands and they can never go any lower than his hands. Charles Spurgeon learned this lesson from a funeral. He was at a funeral one time and this person prayed this prayer. Spurgeon wrote down, he remembered it. The prayer was this. A dear friend in Christ offered prayer in which there was a sentence which struck me. That's what Spurgeon said. This was the prayer. O Lord, he said, you have laid our friend low, and we thank you that he cannot go any lower, for underneath him are the everlasting arms, and in due time thou wilt bring him up again, in those everlasting arms, raised in likeness to Christ. And the whole point is this, even at death, God's people will never slip through his everlasting arms. He upholds us, he guards us, he has us in his hands. He is our refuge, our safety, our strength, our dwelling place, our upholder, our sustainer. God is eternal. And therefore, because he is eternal, his forgiveness is eternal. That's why when you ask Christ to be your savior 
and you have all your sins forgiven, you are eternally saved, eternally forgiven, because the one who saved you and the one who forgave your sin is eternal. Again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And therefore, eternal life is offered unto you, because the one who offers it is eternal himself. And that ought to be a wonderful thought for the child of God. Your salvation is not just for time alone, but it is for all eternity, because the one who saved you is eternal. But that's also a fear. Then for those who are not saved, because we learn in Matthew 25, verse 46, the punishment of hell is eternal, because God is eternal. And therefore those who are saved, they go to eternal heaven, but those who are lost will punish in hell, be in hell for all eternity. And though, therefore, Moses can say about his God, he is above us, around us, and he is beneath us. And then finally, God is eternal. He is before his people. Verse 27, he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. Moses assured the people of Israel that conflict lay ahead whenever they would enter into the promised land. And we know that as we read the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. Battles would be fought, enemies defeated, and territory taken, just as Jabez prayed that thou would enlarge my coast. Moses spoke to Joshua and he also spoke to the people about entering into the land. And he said in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, The Lord, he it is that doth go before you. He's the one who leads his people on to victory. He's the one who will drive out the enemy. He's the one who will give the victory. Therefore, what you need to do is go into the land and Trust in him and depend upon him, for he's the one who gives the victory. He's the one who knows what lies ahead. And while there will be snares and assaults and many mountains that seem to block the way, yet we know who we have one who is eternal and one who makes that way through. For no enemy, no mountain, no assault can ever dethrone or defeat God. He is eternal. He is all victorious. And therefore remember, as the people of God, we are on the side that is already won. John 16, verse 33, in Christ we overcome. In Romans 8, 35 and 37, we are more than conquerors through Christ. His eternality can never be defeated or never brought to an end. First John 4, verse 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Romans 8, verse 31, If God be for us, who can be against us? Again, Psalm 124, verses 
well, really the whole psalm, if you want, but it is the Lord who gives his people victory because it is the Lord who was on the side of his people. Yea, really his people are on the side of him. And so Moses, as he writes this passage, and he's preparing the people to go into the promised land, he told them about one who is incomparable. There's none like unto him. But that one who is none like unto him, he is eternal. He is above you, around you, beneath you. He goes before you. And therefore he will uphold you. He will guide you. He will direct you. He will never let you down. Because there's no disappointment with the Lord. Our God is eternal. And therefore, why Moses will not take this journey into the land with them, the Lord will. And the Lord knows the end from the beginning. And therefore, child of God, in our life day by day, the one who is eternal knows the day of your birth, but he knows the day of your death. He sees the start of your life and the end of your life in one eternal few. And therefore, what a blessed thought to know that every day I live, I live in his care. I live in his plan. I live with his thoughts upon me, that he will guide me and he will bless me. Our God is eternal. I trust the Lord will write his word upon our heart because what a mighty God we serve. Amen.